There's a, there's a story, and I, I forget the details of the story, but um, 400 years ago in England, uh, it was a time when the Puritans were uh, unloved and unwanted. They, they rose to a position of power eventually, but initially they were, they were persecuted um, they, d- during the reign of Queen, Queen well, Bloody Mary. Um, yeah, one of those. Um, but there's a story of one of the... And I, I, I try to find it, and I just couldn't find where it is, couldn't remember, get the guy's name. But this, the, the, the husband was arrested for his faith in Jesus and put in a jail. And the magistrates called his wife, and there was all sorts of pressure on him to recant his faith, pressure on her to recant her faith. And they, they called her to... The, to, to called them, the magistrates called her to stand before them, appear before them, to get her or her husband to recant. And they basically said to her something along the lines of, if you or your husband do not recant of your faith, we're going to chop his head off. To which she replied, then please with the magistrate allow me a few moments to go home and collect my apron so that I can take his head home in my apron. Now, some of you ladies would quite happily take your husband's home, head home in an apron, right? <laughs> For a lot less than that. But in the face of being called to deny Jesus, men and women are willing to die. And people, we know this, right? People still today die for their faith. Last year, the official figure is around about 6,000 people died for their faith. Died for being Christian. Died simply because, yes, we love Jesus. Nearly 3,000 of those deaths occurred in what country? Iraq is incorrect. China is incorrect. Afghanistan is incorrect. Would you believe it? Nigeria. Nigeria. Christian martyrdom is not new. And to be honest, it will continue. There will continue to be martyrs until the Lord returns. When I went and visited my sister in the UK about, was it six years ago now? She took me into the little town of Bury St. Edmunds just down the road from where they were, and we had a look at cathedrals and gardens and all sorts of wonderful things. It was where the Magna Carta was signed. You all are going, yes, we know all about that. Um, and in the middle of their town, they have this lovely little statue kind of thing, memorial thing. Um, and, and on the memorial, it says, in this town square, the following 30 men were burned at the stake for their faith in the early 1600s. Um, and it was just like quite a poignant moment to go, sure, In England, of all places, people died for their faith. Just as an aside, do you know what martyr means? You know it's a trick question, so no one's answering. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Um, It simply means witness. One who witnesses. And that's quite a hardcore witness, right? I'm going to witness about Jesus by dying. But Christians have been burned at the stake, bayoneted, strangled, shot, and tortured for 2,000 years. And today, we're going to read about the first Christian martyr. We're going to take a look at a man called Stephen and find what it is that he was filled with. So I'm going to ask Debbie to come and read for us. And um, you can follow along. We're going to read the last few verses of chapter 6 and the last few verses of chapter 7. Thanks, Debbie. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the free men, as it was called. 
Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized, Steve, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witness who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. <clears throat> you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid the coats their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Thank you, Debbie. So there's a long sermon in the middle there that we skipped out. What I, what I want us to do this morning is to take a look at Stephen and ask, what was he filled with? And then I'll give you a brief synopsis of what he said in his sermon, and we'll end with what he saw. So what he filled with, what he said, what he saw. Now, so the first thing is just this. What are you full of? Some of you shouldn't answer that question. Okay. Some of you just shouldn't answer. We know what you're full of. It, it, it's interesting sometimes, right, that what's advertised outside the box is not what's inside the box. Have you noticed that? Have you ever gone into your freezer to get some ice cream? And you pull out the ice cream, and you open the ice cream lid to find that it's last week's leftover stew, right? So the outside says it's ice cream, but the inside... It's just not right. It's not what you want with chocolate sauce, right? <laughs> and how often is it that what's on the outside doesn't necessarily reflect, reflect what's on the inside? And the truth is, it doesn't matter what it says on the outside. It's what's inside that's going to come out, right? So I have some lovely things here. I have some Danish choice blackcurrant preserve. But do you really think it's blackcurrant reserve? If you were at camp last week, then you know... That it's not, that it's mm, a lovely habanero sauce. Um, I've got another one here. This, this says it's black cat peanut butter. Again, do you want to have this with syrup? No, I wouldn't recommend it. This, oh, that's a bit sharp. Um, 
so, so I, just by the way, I have too many of these in my fridge, so I have five bottles here this morning. And you are welcome if you would like some homemade chili sauce, you can take home. Except that one that's a bit... Clear your sinuses. But we know, right, that what's inside of you is what's going to come out. So Stephen doesn't pop up out of nowhere. Two weeks ago we met him, if you were in church two weeks ago, the church was in chaos. Um, they'd started a Greek, Greek Lives Matter movement because there were some widows in the church that weren't being looked after. And so the church appointed seven guys to take care of the issue. Stephen was one of those seven guys. And, uh, but it seems that Stephen did a lot more than just hand out food. Stephen is used by God with signs and wonders and no doubt to proclaim the name of Jesus and he brings the gospel to many people in Jerusalem. And he gets into discussion, let's start there, with members of a Sanhedrin called the Sanhedrin of the Freemen. And Luke tells us that Stephen was filled with a couple of things. So two weeks ago we read in chapter 6 verse 5 that Stephen was filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. And then this week, this morning, Debbie read to us in verse 8 that Stephen was filled with grace and power. And just to ask the, the first question this morning that we have to deal with is just what are you filled with? Some of us are filled with ambition. Some of us are filled with bitterness or jealousy. Some of you are, are filled with anger. And every now and then, what's inside of you leaks out. And you know it does. And, and, and we're all like this. We, we like to put on the facade. We like to stick the label on, black currant jam. Right? This is what I am. But just because that's what it says on the outside, doesn't mean that that's what on, what's on the inside. And so we, we present to people in our church, Christian. That's the label we've got stuck in our little glass jar, Christian. But anybody who turns the glass jar around can look inside the glass and go, ah, I'm not so sure. And when that glass jar gets shaken, when someone pops the lid and pours a bit out, what comes out? Because every time, every time you get bumped in life, every time life shakes you up, there's a little moment where stuff leaks out of you. And you, you know that. You've experienced it. The taxi cuts you off. The wife says something. The kids do something. And in those little moments, what's inside of you pops out. And for some of us, what spills out of us is our rage. Or it's our guilt and our shame. Or it's our, our hatred or our pride. What are you filled with? comes out of you in those moments of stress. How do, you, how do you respond to life? Because what's inside of you is always going to come out of you. For some of you, the only thing that's inside of you is you. Right? It's just because it's all about me. It's about me and me alone. And it's all just about what's going on in here. And the, the, the summary idea is that what's in your heart is what comes out of the mouth. It's from, from the fullness of the heart that the mouth speaks. Right? Jesus Speaking to his disciples at one stage, they're, they're talking about washing hands and should you wash hands before you eat your food and da, da da And Jesus says, man, don't you know that it's not what you put into your mouth that's a problem? It's what comes out of your mouth. And he says, do you know where the stuff that comes out of your mouth, do you know where that comes from? It comes from your heart. 
And he says, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it's out of the, out of the heart that you end up with evil thoughts and lust and desires and greed and bitterness and anger and all the rest. I think we could all, from time to time, benefit from a, just a little bit of introspection to say, I wonder what's really inside me. And you don't need to look too hard. You just need to look at the last time that life bumped you and go, what was it that spilled out? Stephen, Stephen is filled with four things. Number one, he's filled, oh, you can go to the other screens. Look at this. I've got a PowerPoint today. What are you full of? Uh, Stephen is filled with four things. The first thing that Stephen is filled with, Stephen is filled with faith. Right? That's the first thing that we read about Stephen, filled with faith. Now, every Christian has faith. Every, you can't be a Christian without faith. Faith itself is a gift of God that allows you to believe, that allows you to come to him. But, but Stephen, Stephen is stuffed full of the stuff, right? It oozes out of him. And Luke is basically saying when people talk about Stephen, they talk about him as this guy that just, he's just filled with faith. They remember him for his faith. He's going to have a funeral in just a few short moments. And when people speak at his funeral, they're going to get up and say, we remember him for his faith. Now, I think one of the issues in churches is that some churches have hijacked what faith really means and what faith is all about. And so there have been churches over the years that just tell you that if you have enough faith, you can... What's the word? You can manipulate, it's not the right word, but you can use your faith to get what you want. Right? So if you exercise enough faith, you can get a new car. If you, get, if you exercise enough faith, you can get a brand new knee so that you won't need to hobble around. Right? If you exercise enough faith, you can get the stuff that God can give you. You just need to have enough faith and it will come to pass. But if that's the kind of faith that is being talked about here, then why on earth did Stephen die? Did he have lots of faith until those last few moments and then his faith melted away? Right? Surely if faith is something that when give me what I want, then Stephen should have had enough faith to survive a stoning. Surely, right? Faith is not about what you get. Faith is not placed in the things that will come to you if you have enough. Faith is always based in, placed in an object. It's not a means to an end. And I know a lot of you have lots of faith. Some of you have faith in your own abilities. And some of you shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, for some strange reason, some people place a lot of faith in politicians. And most of us would say, don't understand that at all. Stephen is known for his unwavering trust in God. I like to remind us of this every now and then, that I think the story in the Bible that displays the great, greatest level of faith is Daniel's three friends. When they're standing before the king, and the king says, I'm about to throw you into the fire unless you bow down to my idol. And the three friends say, we will not bow. And our God, we believe that our God can save us. And most people would love to put a full stop there. Boom. Because what happened? Well, God did save them. But that's not what their faith is about because they go on to say, and even if he doesn't, we still will not bow to your eyes. That's faith. Faith is not, I believe that God will rescue me and I'll be okay. Faith is, even if God doesn't, even if God leaves me with this pain, with this mess, in this darkness, with my life that doesn't get fixed, I still will trust him. 
That's faith. And that's the faith that Stephen has. That even as he's being stoned to death, he's not going, ow, where's God? Ow, where's God? Ow, where's God? Where are you? As he's being stoned, he's going, my faith in God is unshaken. The second thing that Stephen is full of, he is filled with the Spirit of God. Now again, every Christian must be filled with the Spirit of God. Again, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you, are, you do not belong to Christ. You can't be a spiritual person without God's Spirit given to you as a gift from God. And so every Christian has the Spirit in you. And, and it's not a case as well, this is a, it's always a difficult thing to try and, to try and grot and to try and explain even. But you, you, it's no good looking at the person next to you and going, well, I think they've got one third of the Spirit. And I've got like one-tenth of the Spirit. and you've got, it, The Spirit doesn't work like that, right? He doesn't get chopped up. You either have him or you don't have him. He's in you or he's not in you. But the New Testament tells us to be continually filled with him. Now, again, don't think of the Spirit as a liquid. That's, he doesn't, you know, you're not like a glass and you get different measures of the Spirit. He's... The Spirit is in you and is meant to lead you and guide you in every area of your life. It is is fruit that is growing within us. But I think what happens sometimes is that we fill our lives with so much other junk that the Spirit gets squeezed and squashed to the side. You know, it's one of those things up against the glass. Because there's no space for Him to work and move because you've filled your life with so much junk. I'll fill myself up with chocolates and biscuits and junk food. So there's no space left for veggies, which is not a bad thing. Um, But I wonder how often we fill ourselves with the things of this world and leave no space for the Spirit of God to be at work in us. But when life bumped Stephen, it's the Spirit of God that sloshed out. We'll see that in a moment. Stephen was full of grace. And I think that suggests two things. I think, number one, it it, it tells us that he knew and understood and grasped the grace of God given to him. He was full of the idea that he was not full of himself. That it's not about himself. Because this isn't me, right? Remember that what we read in the Psalms just now. He saved me because... He delights in me. That's grace. And Stephen understood that. Stephen knew that God had not accepted him because he was a good boy, raised in a good Jewish household, doing all the right things. Stephen understood that he was saved by grace. For those that were there, do you remember last Friday night? Do you believe that you are saved solely by his grace? And supremely for his glory among the nations. Saved solely by his... Stephen understood that. Jason said to me two, three weeks ago now. He says, I finally come to really understand what grace is. That we deserve nothing from God. That every breath that we breathe is another gift from him. Stephen understood the grace of God. And not only did he understand the grace of God, he was a person filled with grace. I think the grace of God made him a gracious person. If you get the grace of God, you become gracious. If you failed to understand the grace of God, and you live by some kind of internal legalistic lawyer thing that tells you right and wrong, you will behave like a lawyer to everyone around you. 
But Stephen, Stephen has become a gracious person. A world, in a world that takes and demands and grabs and tells you to get what you can first before anyone else gets in line, Stephen is a man, a soft man, full of grace. But grace doesn't mean soft and weak. The silk glove of grace is wrapped around a hand of power. Right? That's the fourth thing that Stephen is filled with. He's full of power. And we see him doing what only the apostles have been doing, wonders and miraculous signs. What's that? Is he standing on a street corner pulling a rabbit out of a hat? Ta-da! It seems like he's healing sick people as he prays for them. I'm guessing that his, the power that he expresses is not just in healing and so on, but that there's power in his preaching because that's what's happening here. His preaching is offending and forcing people to, to face up to the reality of their wickedness. power of God at work in this man. May I remind you that this guy Stephen was not an apostle. He was just some guy in the church. He has a Greek name, so he probably grew up outside of Israel as a Jewish guy with a Greek name and a Greek culture. He's an immigrant that's arrived at the church. Just some random guy. Filled with grace, filled with faith, filled with the Spirit, filled with power. What are you full of? What did he say? I'm going to rush this bit. Because Stephen raises opposition, right? And there's arguments and debates, and he, he gets banned from Twitter. He's, his um, opponents simply can't compete with his wisdom as he discusses with them that Jesus is the Messiah. And so what happens? What do you do when you can't win an argument? Well, yeah, kill him. That's a bit... <laughs> Damon, do you want lunch at our house today? <laughs> just, just putting it out there, as, as, as Dan just said, do not pick an argument with Joe. Right? <laughs> yeah, yes, man, now I've lost my train of thought completely. I was just like. <laughs> and it was the right answer, but there's a step in between, right? Before death, they lose, they lose the argument, and so what they do is they trade insults. So you might not have killed him yet, but you've traded insults, right? What do you guys do when your wife presents you with her impeccable logic that you simply cannot break through? What do you do? You resort to insults. Yeah. You insult her. Because insults always win over logic, don't they? Yeah? Right? They say that every online argument is always won by the f person who calls Nazi first. Because insult always trumps logic. Well, that's what's happened here. They can't defeat his logic, and so they insult him. And so they, they, they smear his name, and they say, you know what? They take, him, they take him to the Sanhedrin, and they say he has spoken against, against the law of God and the place of God. And that's the charges. Those are the two charges against him. He's spoken about this, this holy temple, and he's spoken against this holy law. He wants to break them both. And what Stephen does, and go home and read chapter 7, Stephen does this long sermon that, gives the, that tells basically the storyline of the Old Testament. And you're like, why would he do that? Because this is the Sanhedrin. They know the Old Testament. They, they are theologians of note. What on earth is Stephen doing? And he tells them, he, he highlights four moments in Israelite history. He speaks about Abe, Joe, Mo, and so. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and Solomon. 
And he does a real quick thing to point out that Jesus is the temple of God. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of God. And you guys rejecting Jesus, you're the ones who are guilty of blasphemy. And he points out that Abraham was met by God in Ur, that Abraham was a heathen, that Abraham did not meet God in a temple because there was no temple. And in fact, Abraham didn't even have the law of God, and yet he was saved by God's grace. And Moses met with God in a temple? No, on a hillside. This hillside? No, not this temple side, but a hillside in the desert. I skipped Joseph, sorry. Joseph met with God in a pit, in a jail in Egypt. Did Joseph need a temple? Solomon comes along. Solomon builds a temple, this great place that you say God lives in. And what does Solomon say? The God that we worship does not live in buildings made of human hands. And Stephen basically says, Jesus then is the temple of God. He is the presence of God in our midst. And I'm not the one who's guilty by saying this temple will be destroyed. You're the ones who are guilty because you've already destroyed the temple of God. And then he tells them, You're, you, you always reject the law. You, you look back at Israel's history, and all of the Israelites reject and break the law of God again and again and again and again and again. I'm not the one who's guilty of breaking the law. You're the ones who are guilty of killing the one who was the law of God embodied. That's telling them, right? So Stephen, filled with grace, filled with the Spirit, filled with power, describes the Sanhedrin then. <laughs> and this is where it gets very exciting, right? He uses four words to describe them. So we've got four words that describe Stephen. Now there's four words that describe the Sanhedrin. Stiff-necked. You're a stiff-necked people. It was words that used, was used to describe the Israelites in the desert. Necks like iron that will not bend, will not bow before the sovereign God. You will not bow to him. Stephen is filled with grace, with a softened heart from God. But there's no grace in these guys. They're hard. You have uncircumcised hearts and ears, which is a little weird, right? Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. And Stephen's basically saying, you've got the label on the outside, but it's done nothing to the inside. You've got the label of the covenant on your body, but it hasn't changed your heart. Your heart is hard. Your heart is far from God. Your heart is rebellious. Your ears are shut. And in fact, they acted out in just a few moments, right? Where they, I love the phrase, they gnash their teeth at him. Have you ever had someone gnash their teeth at you? If you get cross with your wife tonight, just do this. Right? She'll know. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Anyway, so they gnash their teeth at him. And then, and then they do that. I mean, how old are these guys? They block their ears. We can't hear you anymore. That's what they do. And Stephen says, you've done that to God for thousands of years. <laughs> and then he says, you're just like your dad. Which, which oftentimes is a good thing, right? A lot of us want to be like our dads. If you've got a good dad, if you had a good dad, you want to be like your dad. If you've got your kids around, you're hoping that your kids... No, you hope your kids turn out different to you. Um, but, you know, the whole like father, like son, and Stephen says, you know what, like father, like son. And he's repeating what Jesus had once said to the Pharisees. You're just like your father, which initially is like, oh, thank you very much. And then Jesus says, and your father is the devil. What? <laughs> 
that's what, that, that's what Stephen's just said. You're, you're just like your dad. And you know what your dad was like? Resisted God, resisted the Spirit, rebelled against Him. Stephen, filled with the Spirit of God. How do these guys respond to the Spirit? Resist Him and reject Him at every turn. We do not want the Spirit of God working us. We do not want the Spirit to change us. We have no space for Him in our lives because we are filled with ourselves, with our greed, with our lust, with our ambitions. Just like your fathers, you murdered the righteous one. You killed Jesus. So this is kind of where it boils down to this morning. Who are you more like? Stephen or Sanhedrin? You notice how those kind of rhyme? I could get confused with those two words, Stephen, Sanhedrin. Which one are you like? Stephen, filled with, 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 uh, with, with grace and the Spirit and with, what did I miss, faith and power? Or the Sanhedrin, stiff-necked, uncircumcised, rebellious and rejecting the Spirit and eager to put Jesus back on the cross again and again and again and again. We're so often, I'm so often stiff-necked, not just because I slept funny at night. But I don't want to bow sometimes. I don't want another king. I can rule my life. I can make the rules better, right? That's what Psalm 2 is all about. The nation's rage. We do not like the shackles that God has put on us. Let's break the chains. Let's do our own thing. Let's set ourselves up as God. God in heaven laughs. Do you have a stiff neck? Do you need some spiritual chiropractic, some spiritual physio? How about your heart? Is your heart hard? It's like a, you know, when you shoot a pellet gun at some reinforced concrete and the pellet just pings off. Ding, ding. Is that what your heart's like when the word of God comes? The word of God just bounces off. Are you hard-hearted? No compassion. No mercy. Ezekiel was the one who said our hearts are like stone. But that God, God will change that. That God will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And it's just, what is the state of your heart? And again, last Saturday morning, we listened to Francis Chan saying, I don't hear a lot of people saying how much they love Jesus. Is our heart soft towards Jesus? Do we love him? And your ears? Some of you couldn't hear last Sunday morning. And you need to go and get your hearing aids checked. Um, hmm. But can we hear God? Do we ever hear him speak? Because he's speaking right now, speaking through his word to us. And can we hear? Would you just keep nailing Jesus to the cross again and again and again? Stay there. Stop interfering with my life. Stop calling me to holiness. Which are you? Stephen? Sanhedrin. Finally, what did he see? What do we see? What do you see? The Sanhedrin see Stephen. They gnash their teeth. They block their ears. They yell at the top of their voices. They stone Stephen and he dies. They see a man who enrages them. Oftentimes that's what we see. We see someone or something that enrages us. We see something that is in our way. We see something that has offended us. We see something that we don't like. And so we'll get rid of them. We'll insult. We'll do whatever. We'll pick up a stone. 
But what does Stephen see? And I, I, I love this because once again we read one of those, one of the favorite phrases in the book of Acts that Stephen is filled with the Spirit. Again. He's about to die, and there's that common phrase in the book of Acts, filled with the Spirit. And again, what fills you? And in this moment of crisis, in this moment of hate and anger and death, in this moment when Stephen knows what's coming, what does Stephen see? Does his life flash before his eyes? No, he sees two things. Two things. Number one, he looks up to heaven and sees the glory of God on display. When things are about to turn runny, Stephen looks up. He looks up. And I think many of us could learn something with just doing that. Look up. Right? How, how often are we looking down and looking in when things are bad? And Stephen looks up and looks out. Instead of looking down and looking in and getting all lost in ourselves, he looks up and sees something bigger, something better, something greater. He looks up and sees the glory of God on display. Look up and behold your God. Or look down and see your mess and see the stones. God is glorious. Look up and see him. Look up and see him on the throne. Look up and see the weight and the majesty of God, for he is glorious and all else is just pale shadows. He also sees Jesus. He looks up and sees the glory of God. He looks up and he sees Jesus. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the phrase he uses. Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus, the one who suffered and died in Stephen's place eight months earlier. Jesus standing at the right hand of God, at the Father's side. Jesus in his inheritance. Jesus who has just been murdered himself. Not sitting, but standing. Perhaps to welcome Stephen into, into glory. Perhaps standing and interceding at the Father's side for Stephen. Where is Jesus right now? Oh, I know he's in your heart, kind of in your heart by his spirit. But actually, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven, interceding for you. That's where he is. In your chaos and in your mess, and when things in your life turn runny, what is Jesus doing? Standing at the Father's side, with arms open, ready to welcome you into the throne room, interceding for you on your behalf. So look up. Look up and catch a vision of something greater. Don't wander around gnashing your teeth and weeping and wailing, stiff-necked people needing a spiritual cardiologist to kickstart your heart. Look up and see the glory of God on display. Allow him to part the veil and see the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. It's like, what do you see day after day? What is your gaze fixed on? Are we looking at pretty sunsets and watching TV, looking at stuff on our phone? But do we look for the glory of God on display? Do we see his glory in the humility of the poorest of the poor? Do we see the glory of God? Do we see Jesus in the wrinkled face of the old man with dementia? Do we see the glory of God in the calloused hands of the laborer? Do we see the lamb on the throne or do we see ourselves in our own grandeur, sitting on our own throne? Open your eyes, and you know what? What fills you helps you to see what you see. If you're filled with bitterness and anger, you won't see much. You'll see what the Sanhedrin saw. You'll see a guy getting on their nerves and chance to shut him up. It's for a lot of us, right? Someone's in our way. Someone's annoying us. Someone's not giving us what, do they, do, what they deserve. So what do we do? Well, bend down, pick up a stone, right? But filled with the Spirit and filled with grace, 
We'll see something different. And when Stephen gets bumped, this is the whole thing, right? When Stephen gets bumped, what's in him comes out of him. When he gets knocked by a rock, literally, and he's bumped over, what comes out? Father, forgive them. Grace comes out, because grace is what was inside. Father, forgive them. Mercy comes out, because that was what was inside. Love for his enemies comes rushing out. He gets bashed on the head and falls over to the side, and he's about to die. And what comes out, other than just a little trickle of blood? (laughs) Into your hands I commit my spirit, he says. That's what comes out. Faith, complete faith, complete trust in the sovereign God. In this dreadful moment, that's what comes out, my trust in God. Because what was in him is what came out of him. I want to make one last very quick little comment, but just, I think it's cool. You notice how Luke describes Stephen's death? He fell asleep. Isn't that nice? He fell asleep. Now, look, he didn't literally just doze off in the midst of a stoning, you know? (laughs) Didn't start snoring. That didn't happen, right? I mean, I can doze off watching a movie, but Luke, who is a doctor who issues death certificates when people have died describes the death of a believer as nothing more fearful than falling asleep. How many of you are terrified of falling asleep? Hopefully you shouldn't be by this stage in your life. For for the unbeliever, death is death and death is final. And Luke will tell us that later on in Acts when a couple of unbelievers die and it's an unpleasant death and eaten by worms and it's nasty. But for the believer, death has lost its sting. Death is but to sleep. And Jesus will wake us up. Isn't that just a great image? So, Stephen, Sanhedrin, what fills you? What's in you? What are you filling yourself up with? Maybe you need to empty yourself out a little bit first of your pride and your envy and your arrogance and recognize that you're empty and ask that God would fill you by, with grace, with faith, with his spirit. Let's pray. Fill us, O Lord. Fill us that we may overflow. That when life bumps us, that what spills out of us is grace and mercy. Your spirit. Faith. Lord, fill us with you. Empty us of ourselves. By your spirit, fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have a cup of tea or coffee before you leave, or a biscuit or two. Um, And we're going to play the camp video. We put a bunch of pictures and stuff together. If you haven't seen it, you're welcome to hang around and watch that. Uh, Come back in with your cup of tea. Uh, Don't forget to take your various groceries home with you.